The only constant in business is change. Welcome to Trends, Bends, and Opportunities, the show that explores business ups, downs, and possibilities. I'm Pat Lynch, and I'm a retired police supervisor. Now I teach and mentor real estate agents who are looking to stand out above the rest. My partner here is Dr. Lauren Murfield, He's a retired college professor who now works with business leaders, small and large, to do what they never thought possible. Together, we're docking the cop, and we're here to help you think bigger and reach higher to deliver disruptive success for today's world. Let's go. My name is Pat Lynch, and uh, I'm the chairman of the Business Connect Committee at the uh, Center Club here in Tampa, and uh, my co-host is Dr. Lauren Murfield. Say hello, Doc. Hey, how's everybody doing? Glad to have you on. And uh, each day we're uh, sitting down with a different uh, business leader and we're talking uh, about how to navigate through um, these unique times. And I think my Zoom just crashed. We're still seeing you. Well, you still see me. That's good. It crashed on my end, so we're still going somehow. Uh, and so here we go. Uh, our special guest today is Keith Downey, and he's with Stronghold Wealth Management. And um, Keith, uh, take it away. I'm going to try to get this video to back come back up. Thank you very much. I will. Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for uh, letting me talk to you for a little bit. Uh, I said something in the uh, committee meeting that apparently resonated, and I think I was trying to be funny, but it uh, turned out that it it morphed into this. So the comment was something to the effect of um, this is this is something new that's, that's happened and, and we've done a lot of these in the last 22 years, these events, and they all seem to be new, whether it's uh, September 11th or, you know, the banking crisis or long-term capital management back in 98. And uh, they're all new until they're not new anymore. The market tends to do a lot of the same stuff. Dr. Merfield asked me if I would do this, so I just wanted to start out by saying before I jumped in that, you know, everything I'm going to say, I want to make sure that uh, we're, we're going to talk about everything from a financial standpoint. I don't want to discount the human cost and, and what this is doing to people, especially if they've gotten the virus and or had family members pass away, so I don't want to minimize that, but uh, we're going to talk about the finance side, so I just want to get that piece out of the way. Keith, uh, um, we're having a little trouble hearing you. At least I am. Is there something going on in the background, or coming through the yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get you a message to mute everybody on on your end because my uh, system has frozen. And uh, if I try to end this, I'm going to end the meeting for everybody. So uh, if you have the ability as a co-host to uh, mute everybody, you'll get his his audio up. Can you do that, Dr. Murfield, or do I have to do it on my end? Because I have no idea how to do that. Um, I don't see it where it says new call on mine. Look under participant. You have to call up all the participants and hit mute. As, as mine still got the uh, beach ball spinning beach ball of death. I like. I've just muted. I've just muted all. Okay. Okay. That included Keith. Yeah, you, you can unmute him. Okay, I got me. Okay, I got me. Is that better? Yeah, that's good. Okay, perfect. Well, everything I said, I already said was all the stuff I was going to say, so you missed everything. No, I'm just kidding. Um, just, just to reiterate, I just want to make sure that we're, uh, we're not discounting the human part of this. Everything I'm going to talk about is obviously finance related, but I don't want to minimize 
the impact this event has had on on humans. So, um, so I just wanted to start with that. Uh, initially, I know there's a couple of fellow industry people on the call. Uh, Dr. Murfield had asked me to speak a little bit about, uh, you know, as an advisor, what what we're doing as a financial professional. Then I was going to get into investing itself. From the advisor side, it's it's really it's going to be shockingly simple. The, the most important thing for us to do at this point is to communicate with clients. Um, I know that sounds silly, but I think back to the banking crisis when I was still at Merrill Lynch, and uh, there was actually advisors not only avoiding their clients, literally hiding from them in the office when they came in, which is uh, obviously uh, not the best way to approach it. So. The reason our clients are, one of the ways our clients have avoided panic is we've been through this many times and we've been constantly communicating with them. I just sent them another update actually today. Um, most of ours are grizzled veterans, so we've done this a few times. So communication is key, just as it is in most uh, relationships. And what we're trying to do is get the you know, clients just to stay, stay with their plan. Uh, we had uh, you know, a strategy in place. We stress test portfolios for events just like this. Um, you know, it, it's played out the way we anticipated that it would, and, and clients are aware of that. You know, one other thing to do as a professional, he's my father as an example, he retired just before the dot-com bubble. And uh, about two years in, he was nervous about having to go back to work. So what we did was I uh, had him and my mother come in to the, uh, to the office. We re-ran their plan hey, uh, based you, on a lower. Yes. Is your camera, did you turn your camera off? I have no idea. Look at the bottom. There you go. Now you're on. People can see. Is that better? That seems cruel and unusual. You have to hear me and see me. That seems mean. So um, you know, we re-ran their plan at the lower levels, and what they found out was uh, that they still had enough, and, and that was an important distinction for them to be able to uh, reduce their anxiety and, and not panic to know that even as difficult as it is to see balances go down because you can't mitigate all risk. Uh, they knew that they were still going to make it. And that helped them out immensely. So updating plans based on current numbers and letting clients know that they can still make it is important. Um, you know, we're not big proponents of making drastic changes during times like this. I mean, obviously we are making adjustments to people's portfolios. There are some areas of the market that profited quite a bit. Long-term treasuries went up a tremendous amount, which we sold and bought some preferreds, which are now up quite a bit. Uh, so there are places to make adjustments, but we're not dramatically changing clients' allocations at this point. Um, it's also not a bad time to prospect. If you talk to people in the past, and you know it's, it's easy to be an advisor during a 10-year bull run, uh, it's a little more difficult when this type of stuff happens. And the biggest singular mistake that most do-it-yourselfers uh, make is that they don't know the risk that's in their portfolio, right? And when everything's going up, it's easy because everything goes up. The true test of the portfolio is what happens when something like this happens. And most people, including most advisors, frankly, don't understand the amount of risk they have in their portfolios. And that's, that's key. So uh, if there are some people that you prospected with the past and said they had it all taken care of and everything was going up, that was probably true last year. Probably hasn't been since February 19th. So uh, that's my little word to fellow professionals. Just making sure I can see a clock so I don't go long. Um, as far as investors, which I think most of the people on the call probably are, uh, you know, not all these comments are going to fit everyone, and maybe maybe none of them do. But um, you know, 
one of the things I don't like about our industry is pundits that get on and, and make broad statements that you should do X or you should do Y, and then some you know little old lady runs and pays off her house, even though she may or may not have <laughs> should have done that. So, uh, so I'm going to keep it kind of general, but uh, hopefully some of this will be specific enough um, and helpful. So all these events are new when they happen until they're not anymore. I mean, you would, a lot of the market behavior we've seen at this point is very similar to what happened during the banking crisis so far. Uh, one major difference from this one is the reaction of the government, uh, both monetarily and fiscally, has been unprecedented, unprecedented in size and in speed. If you think back to the banking crisis, uh, we actually let a few companies go away before they started to make some real changes because that was manufactured and they were, they were by the banking industry or investment banking industry, the mortgage companies. So they let Bear Stearns and Lehman and, and so forth uh, go under. This one wasn't really anyone's fault per se. I mean, this is a uh, you know pandemic that uh, a bank didn't create. So we're trying to get in front of this and create uh, a lot of liquidity and make sure as few of the business go, businesses go under as possible. So that's one big change. The difficult thing and a challenge to do from our perspective or an investor is to make fundamental decisions because we're changing the game on a regular basis. Um, you know, you think back to last Thursday before the three-day weekend, uh, I would argue it was a very conspicuous timing of this announcement. The Fed announced they're injecting another $2.3 trillion and they're gonna buy high yield bonds. Uh, before, a couple months ago, they never even bought corporate bonds, let alone high yield bonds. Some of our indicators were showing that we were gonna start buying high yield at some point uh, after a certain level of uh, defaults occurred, which I won't bore you with those details, but um, that may have just, our, our uh, analysis may have bought me for now because we just eliminated a lot of the defaults by, uh, by the Fed uh, buying, buying those bonds up. The good news is, is that's protecting some of the ETFs that own high yield bonds, which are some of the most illiquid uh, ETFs in, in the industry. So it's it's difficult to make decisions based on fundamentals because we don't know when the economy is going to get restarted. We don't know how many restaurants are going to not come back because they've been out for too long uh, um, and so on and so forth. So we've, we're really basing decisions on client-based information, where they are, um, just like we would any other time because we, we don't know how long this this will last. I just so actually just before I got on the car, so I saw Cuomo's not gonna open up New York till May 15th, so that delays that two year two weeks. That may be as much to um, a statement to our to our president as it is to the, the safety of the state, but I'll I don't want to turn this into a political discussion. But um, you know we just don't know when this thing is going to reopen. So what do we do at this time then? So this is a great time to reassess your situation and your portfolio. Again, like I mentioned for the advisors, this is when we have clients fill out questionnaires of what they think their risk tolerance is. And frankly, nobody knows what their risk tolerance is until an event like this happens. And it has a question on there. What happens if you're, would you be okay if your portfolio lost 20%? Anybody's like, yeah, you know, I'll do that for all the upside. Until it actually goes down 20%, and then it doesn't feel as good, and they realize, one, emotionally they can't stand that, and then, two, maybe, you know, an investor couldn't stand that from a financial standpoint to, to reach their to reach their goal. This is a great time to reassess. Three big keys about where you're going to go from here, or what decisions you make, is, is very, very simple. Liquidity, your time horizon, and risk tolerance. 
Uh, we have a new client that just moved some money in, uh, actually literally yesterday, young, young couple. Uh, it's all cash. Their income has taken a little bit of a hit the last two or three, um, these two months now, month and a half. And, you know, they were asking about how much we should get into this thing. And we got, we went through the exercise of finding out how much cash they needed to retain for their, uh, for their emergency fund, because that's an important. If you don't have the liquidity to last the, the length of the trade for it to come to fruition, then it doesn't matter for the great investment. So if your time horizon is three or five years plus, you know, there's a high probability you could buy something now and it would be higher in the future in the equity market. If you have two years or less, or it's your tax payment you're going to make in July, probably not a great idea to put that in there. So time horizon, liquidity, you've got to have the ability to, to last the, the entire trade. Uh, and then your risk tolerance, um, how much can you stand ups and downs in the market? You know, one of the most important things about investing, uh, and I, I know Mark will agree with me on this one, probably Tommy, is that it's more important to not lose money than it is to get all of the market on the upside. And hopefully I won't insult anybody's intelligence with this analogy, but bear with me. If you have $100 and you lose 50%, you now have $50. You've lost 50%, you have $50. And how much return do you have to get to get back to 100? We have to double it, so now you have to get 100% return to make up for the 50% you lost in year two. So let's assume that was year one, you lost 50%, year two, you got, you got 100% return. Add those two numbers together, that equals 50, divide by two, you have a 25% average at annual rate of return, and you have the same exact amount of money you had when you started. That's not really what clients are looking to do. So what, if you take two of the exact same portfolios to get the exact same rate of return, but one has half the volatility, the one with half the volatility will have more money in it. Because if you're not losing as much, you're always compounding a larger number, correct? So if I don't lose the 50%, then I'll have to get 100% back. So that's our first free lesson in investing is, is don't lose it. And how you get your return is as important, if not more important, than how much return you get. Um, if you, in your current portfolio, you have too much equity exposure and or all equity exposure, you're probably gonna have to write it out. Uh, you probably heard the analogy that you don't get off the roller coaster halfway through. Um, your best opportunity for return would probably be to, you know, ride it at least most of the way back up the next peak. Um, that may be painful. And again, that depends on liquidity and time horizon. Um, in addition to the fact that bonds are very highly priced. For those who don't know, interest rates and bond prices work in exactly inversely of each other. So when the Fed works to lower rates, that means bond prices went up. So bond prices are high. So if you're not already in the bond market, you know, it might be a little too late, except in some particular sectors, like there's some opportunities in unis and almost opportunities in high yields. So um, you've got to be careful how and when you reallocate. If you were allocated correctly and you had a, a diversified portfolio and you had some equity, some bond, maybe some real estate, some other things in there, now it's a great time to, to rebalance. And that's some of what we've done with our clients is we haven't necessarily added equity exposure, even though prices have been low. But just real simply, if you got a 60%, 40% portfolio, 60 was equity, 40 was bond, before this happened, it's not 60, 40 anymore. Maybe now it's 55% equities and 45 or 
to go right yeah 55 45 when you rebalance you're going to pair out of your bond portfolio which is probably higher and you're going to add to your stock portfolio that's buying uh, buying low selling high so rebalancing may make sense if your allocation is correct once you've done you know, reassessed where you're at and you decided that's true uh, so that's something to consider um, if you're if you're having in cash you're just getting started I would definitely average in. Uh, we don't think that we, we've hit the bottom or, or we'll at least retest the bottom that we had uh, back a couple weeks ago. It's You don't have to hit the bottom. If you're getting invested, again, if you have a long time horizon and you, you can wait three, five, seven years for the, the, the thing to, to pan out, that's okay. That makes sense. I don't have to hit the exact bottom. If I got If I bought, after it bounced 10% off the bottom, I still got it at a 20 or 25% discount from where it was. That's that's pretty good. So don't try to try to time uh, the bottom, which is hard to do, by the way. Uh, for the record, I funded my wife's retirement account a couple of weeks ago, and then it had pretty close to the low. And then the two days after, it immediately went down. I was like, you know, well, I can't do what it said. It's wrong. Facebook, I think. But um, you know, and even I do it. It's like, yeah, like I could wait two days. But and and that, that's an important thing to remember about psychology as well with investors. And I have to, I go through this all the time. I've got a good buddy of mine that's been a client for years. That told me his taxable account is not making any money. I'm like, really? So what do you think you started with? And he tells me, and of course, it's totally wrong. This is the way, I don't know if this will work on this little screen, but this is the way investors work. You start with that much, and it starts to climb up and does this little thing, and then it goes up to the peak, and then it goes down to here, and then back to here. And all clients see is the difference between that and that. They forget about the difference between this and this. So, you know, even right now, we're still above. Uh, levels two years ago uh, in, in the equity market, which is still stinks, but it's it's not like we went back to 2011 levels or 12 levels, which we were at for a little bit a couple of weeks ago. So bear that in mind. Um, if you have some losses built in, if, some of your, if you have a taxable brokerage account, uh, so a non-IRA and non-retirement account, uh, might not be a bad time. Talk to your, your tax professional first, uh, but we have taken some areas for clients and harvested some loss. To get some back on the tax side, we immediately deployed it elsewhere, so we would get a bounce back. So we didn't we didn't take it out of the market. We're not timing. We just redeployed it somewhere else. So we harvested some loss to get some some money back on the on the tax return. And uh, in some in one particular case, we inherited a bank stock that a client had earlier that is just I was just looking at it. It makes me cry to look at it, but we're going to be carrying that loss forward for years and it'll allow us to rebalance our portfolio and offset any capital gains in the future. So we're keeping it invested. We're just, we're going to bank the loss so that we can save taxes over the future. So that's something else uh, to consider. Reevaluate re your investments. Is somebody give me like the shepherd's hook when I go too long? Is Dr. Murfield going to come in here and like slap me in the back of the head or something? You're doing fine, Keith. Don't worry. You're doing fine. Okay. Um, so one other thing to do, and, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds on how a mutual fund works, but if you are invested in, in mutual funds, it's a good time to go look at how your individual holdings have performed. And I would encourage you to do it relative to their peer groups or other funds that do the same thing. If you look at it relative to an index, especially over the last two or three months, it's probably not going to look very good. When you're in a mutual fund, you are subjected to the behavior of other investors inside that mutual fund. And this is what I mean, just real quick, we'll try to keep this simple. A mutual fund has to match its redemptions at the end of every day. So in other words, if the fund has 20 million in cash and they have 40 million in redemptions, 
they can't just say, yeah, sorry, you don't get your other 20 million. They have to send the 40 million out. Then to cover the 20 million they didn't have, they have to sell something, right? So if you look at mutual fund performance in a market correction, so if you go back to 2008 when the market was down 37% just for the calendar year and not for the whole crisis, there are some very, very good mutual funds that were down 40, 42, 45 because they had people selling at the bottom. Of course, they didn't have any new cash coming in because people were, they were, they were freaked out they were getting out. So they weren't buying when it was low. And now they had a smaller share base. So when it rebounded, they didn't rebound as quickly as the market because they owned less Pepsi or Coke or, you know, whatever they originally, originally owned. Same thing happens at the top, but we'll save that discussion for another day. Um, so when you're looking at specific mutual funds, I mean, you can look right now at, at the index and certainly over long periods of time, it makes sense to, to compare it to an index. During a crisis like this, it's probably more effective to look at it relative to a, uh, a peer role as opposed to an indices. Um, you know, what, what we think is gonna happen with the, the economy going forward. Yeah, it's funny, I just read two articles before I got on here that said the exact same or the exact opposite of each other and very, very smart people. So uh, the fact is nobody knows. There, there will certainly be some level of spending in biomed and uh, you know, the medical industry to help offset the next or give, prepare for the next pandemic, uh, which hopefully never comes, but there's a lot of people on the planet, so I think that it probably will. Um, there's gonna be a, a rush to create jobs. Uh, if you got anywhere, you know, our offices right off Kennedy, they're doing all kind of work on during the day on, on major roads now trying to get it done before we release the hounds. But I think to create jobs, there's probably going to be some infrastructure bill, you know, shovel ready jobs, which frankly doesn't work, but they'll try it and we'll, we'll you know, we'll see how that, that goes. The, the, the real unknowns are if, if you're a restaurant owner and you only had a single restaurant, this is going to be tough to weather. I, I know that they just ran out of small business loan money today, as a matter of fact, so that 350 spent. Um, hopefully they'll stop bickering and throw the other 250 in there. Um, you know, that, that's going to be tough. If you're a larger um, restaurateur that maybe has 15 or 17 restaurants, you'll maybe you'll make it. You might still close two or three, which means we have two or three restaurants with the servers that aren't going to go back to work. There are areas of the economy that you can't replace the demand. Uh, if I need a car right now, I'm still gonna need a car in two months. I might wait to buy it then. I can't go eat out three times a week for the you know six weeks I didn't get to eat out. I can't recreate that, uh, that demand. So there are just some places in the economy that, that just aren't gonna feel it. And then how we, you know, how we open this thing back up, especially in our state, who seems to make the headlines every day nationally, well, uh, you know, that, that, that's a big unknown. So stick to the plan. When, when, when opportunities like this happen and you rebalance, again, you're, you're selling high, you're buying low. Um, have a plan. If you don't have one, get one. Uh, I, I would make, again, drastic changes right this very second, but certainly it's, it's a good time to start looking um, you know, changes you have to make. If you're young and you're funding, this is great. Just keep buying and just don't even worry about it. Um, you know, if you're five years out or less and, and you weren't prepared for it, uh, that's, that's going to be tough. Um, but that's, uh, where am I at? 24 minutes. All right. That's not too bad. So I'll just kind of leave it at that, or I don't know if I want to open up for questions or how I take questions or how that works. So I'm going to leave it up to you guys. Uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, great insight, Keith. Uh, it, you know, it's awful hard to answer questions.
and hard to figure out, um, you know, the response to give, uh, like you have two experts that are, uh, yeah, on opposite ends of it. One says we're going to have a quick recovery. The other one says it's going to be a long-term, uh, and what we can take away from what Keith told us today is the fundamentals are there for the market. So it should kick back into gear, but it's going to be staggered, uh, based on, uh, how well the, how, how everything assimilates back to our new normal. Uh, so does anybody have any questions for Keith? We can, uh, uh, you can chat them or you can uh, ask uh, here. Uh, just unmute yourself. You should have that ability now. Yeah, no, I was listening to you talk about the mutual funds. It's funny because I had um, basically hit a point where I wasn't going to be putting money into that, right? And then I hit up my financial planner and was like, no, you know what? I want to put double what I was putting in before. Is that a wrong move? Because I figure you buy low and you sell high, right? <laughs> you do, you do. And not to beat a dead horse, it's all about time horizon. Um, it, again, if, if this is dollars you won't need for five plus years, and I don't like to use the word no brainer, but um, you know, you're getting pretty close to that, to that level. If, if it's something you need you know, two or three years or less, uh, or if you're close to retirement and, and you haven't built so, so the, the way that the way that we uh, handle to use my father's example again during both the biggest crisis, the banking crisis and and the dot com bubble, we had zero clients have to go back to work. And it's not that we're not that smart or that smart because we're really not. the The way we did it is that no client was ever reliant on the equity market for their next check. So all of our clients right now that take money, which there's a lot of them that we send each month to our bank account, none of that's coming out of this. So we, the easiest way to, to put it is, is we have, you know, multiple buckets. We have the one to three year bucket, that's, that's that money. And then we got the three to seven year bucket that's a little more aggressively invested. And then you've got the, you know, the seven year and on bucket. And that's the money that's growing out of inflation. And if you live a long time and so, so you don't, you know, run out of money at the end. So it's all about time horizon. So do I, do I think the market's going to be higher in the future? Absolutely. I mean, we've been through this before. That's do what I I'm think... betting on. That's what I'm betting on. I'm like, yeah. I can do it right now. So why not? Because yeah. I'm not close to retirement. <laughs> I'm going to need it when I retire. And I'm hoping it just cranks right back up. Well, it'll crank up. I might have picked the right part out of that, but I think it will crank up. So anybody, that was a great question too, by the way, and uh, we're back to having a, the screen is wanting to freeze up on me. Um, so I've, hopefully y'all can hear, but uh, does anybody else have a question? Uh, just unmute yourself and go ahead and ask. Hey, Stella. In here a little late, I was on a different webinar that bored me to death. So I said, I'm gonna <laughs> switch, switch and listen to Keith. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, so, you know, I'm just hearing what you're saying. I'm just glad that I'm not near retirement age, that I still have some years that I can recover the value in my retirement account. But how about those who are nearing retirement? I mean, what should they do, if anything? 
That's hard. So if you're closer, we would be, so if a new client came in and we had their two or three years out and they didn't have a short-term position built up, we would not be buying the equity market. We would be building that position. Mm -hmm. So if you know, you're going to leave some, because here's a way to look at it. So let's assume somebody came in, they have too much equity exposure already and they're close to retirement. We don't really need to buy anymore. The, the existing equity exposure is going to get the recovery. So we'll just let that do that and let's start building up a position that can be the cash for the first few years of it. Um, you know, that, that would be the best approach at, at, at this point. There are, you know, I read an interesting analysis this morning about, you know, long-term rates possibly going up because of what the Fed buying is going to do. So the, the issuing of a lot of bonds is going to create um, a, a lot of um, supply and, and, and drive rates down. Of course, the Fed's going to re immediately buy most of them back. But um, you're going to have banks buying those to use that as to, to lever to lend money and, and all kinds of things. When they start buying up other parts uh, of the, the corporate and the high yield market, they're going to reduce the flow. So that's less supply, uh, and especially in the longer end. So we might see some rates come up. So if they can be patient, uh, there's a decent possibility that in the next year or two, we may, I can't even remember the last time I bought a CD for the client. For, I mean, it's, it's been years. It, you know, every time I go price my cry a little bit but um there, there's a chance we may get you know we may get to see some some money movement on the long end of the curve and, and start to get it to steepen up uh, through this process a little bit in the next couple of years so if you're close to retirement and, and you've got too much equity and you haven't planned for it i would start building up your your short-term pool for that first one to three year bucket okay good advice thanks and uh Welcome, uh, Stella. Uh, you are our guest speaker tomorrow. Going to be talking about cash flow management. So we're looking forward to uh, everybody coming back tomorrow. And uh, Doc, you have any questions for Keith before we wrap yeah. up? Yeah, Keith, I think you touched on a little bit. I actually have two questions. One, what would you tell? I, I know my wife's sitting here. Um, you know, people in a large organization with 401ks and things like that. Is there something they should be watching out for? And second, which is related, um, and you touched on a little bit, what, what indicators are going to say that the stock market's really going to come back and come back quickly? And when will we, you know, when will we be looking for those? I'm not asking you to just look at the indicators instead of projecting. Yeah, so on the, on the first uh, part, investing in a 401k is no different than investing anywhere else. And most large employers have enough options in there now. You know, when it first came out, you'd be lucky to have three to six options in a 401k. And a lot of them have 20 plus. Uh, when we design one for a client, we try not to go over 20 because then it gets confusing to, to the participant. They get overwhelmed, they don't participate, which is not what the, what the goal is. Um, it, it, it's the same thing, is, is look at your allocation. On the equity side, you should have some large, some small, some international, uh, you know, probably small, um, small stocks tend to lead out of these types of events and they are beat to death right now. So if I were younger and, uh, and I say just funded my wife's uh, retirement account, I might uh, go a little heavier, small to large on the equity side. Not that I did that uh, without her knowing it, but I might have. Um, and then on the bond side, it's, it's the same thing as, as you want. So... Another quick bond lesson is the, the longer the duration of a bond, the more volatile the price is. Okay, so most bonds are issued at a thousand dollar par level. Uh, so let's say it's it's a thirty year bond and it's brand new. 
it's going to be more volatile than a 30-year bond that's only got a year left. And the reason for that is actually very, very simple. It is as you get closer to the bond maturity, you're going to get the $1,000 back, assuming it didn't default. So, so no one's going to pay a gigantic premium or a huge discount for a bond that's going to mature and pay out $1,000 in 6, 12 months, right? So as you get closer to maturity, the volatility of a bond becomes less and less. So right now, since there's not a huge benefit to going very long out, not anymore, real long out on the curve, so buying a 20 or 30 year bond, in my opinion, in our opinion, we're going a little shorter on the bond side until rates go up and then we'll go back long again. Well, again, we sold a lot of our long treasury positions uh, probably in the first week in March. It's still April. It feels like February still. I don't know what month it is. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, uh, I'm sorry, what was your second question? Second one was, Oh, I I forward, what are the indicators okay. that you can see is when this thing's really going to come back? So the important thing to know is that the, the stock market is a leading indicator, meaning that it will, it will recover before the economy does. Uh, the, the indicators we look at, which is a little too complex without charts and, and, and things to do, is um, we look for it to make higher lows, meaning when it dips, it's not going down as far with less volatility uh, is, is a good indicator as well. So when we see this thing start to pan off, what you've seen to this point is the market has largely traded technically, meaning it, it, it's sort of, there are program traders that are out there and they have a criteria when, you know, it hits X, it sells and it's Y, it buys, and it's just, you know, and it's doing electronically, there's not, you know, some little dude back there hitting a button, it's just, it's an algorithm doing it. Um, but it's been, it's stayed very technical, which is interesting because even in our client base, we have had zero clients, zero call to liquidate their accounts or, or get out of the market. Uh, in fact, for the first couple of weeks, we didn't get a call. Uh, we were calling them and they're like, no, no, we're good. But, uh, so a lot of what's going on in, you know, in our opinion or what's going on in the market is not driven by investors like us. It's technical driven. The market is clearly not pricing the way it should. When you have a 9% swing two days in a row in the opposite direction, that's it just floundering around looking for, for a price. So what you know, we're looking for is less volatility, uh, higher lows, if that makes any sense at all. Because you'll just kind of see it start to flatten out and then it'll eventually start to, and there are other technical indicators we look at it as, as well. But you, you never really know. And, and the thing of it is when it does recover and it really recovers, it happens fast. The first part of the recovery will happen in a very, very short period of time. And you go back to March of nine, uh, if you weren't in for the first part, you missed a ton of that, uh, the, the first little run up. And then it kind of levels off and gets back to normal, whatever normal is. But um, it's, it's hard to tell, you know, when it does start to turn around, but when it does, but that's why you never get completely out of an asset class, right? So even when we decide, tactically that we're going to trim up some of this or put a little here or put a little. we never get completely out of something because the market is just as stupid at the top as it is at the bottom and it can continue to run out so you never get completely out of a out of a trade yeah i think that's really good um the, the one thing that i'll take from this is is uh what you just said is that when it does come back it's going to come back quickly yeah. and i think that's what i've been hearing since the beginning was that it wasn't a wasn't a uh, economic crack that caused it. It wasn't like it was 10 years ago, but instead it was a pandemic and, and so things are gonna be in place. Yeah, there's some damage, but uh, watch out. And um, with that, I think it's pretty good material. 
Yeah, I mean, I go on for days about the banking crisis because I was at Merrill when that happened. That was awesome. That was, that was my birthday, actually, when the, the meeting at the Fed in New York, that was September, that was my birthday. I got home from playing with the girls and I saw Bank of America buys Merrill Lynch. Like, what the? I looked at Kara and said, that just, why, do I work for Bank of America now? I don't know what happened. So uh, I go on for that, for about that for days. But yeah, Domino's, it was probably, yeah. I lost a, I lost a lot of money that day, um, but I'm not bitter at all. But just a shout out to, uh, you know, Keith and Tommy and Mark, all dealing these financial markets. They're all, they're all good people and um, good to connect with. Um, you, you can't have enough information on this stuff and people level head. Uh, I took a business finance class when I went back to college. That happened to be and we had 10,000 fictitious dollars to invest in. We followed the Wall Street Journal. Well, that was in fall of 1987. Oh, yeah. Nice start. So that was a, uh, a real interesting time when we woke up on that Monday and uh, we were about to see the Black Friday happening. So um, I want to give you a thank you, Keith, for, for coming in and sharing your information. I want to give you a little bit of preview. Stella's on tomorrow. You're going to want to see that. I can tell a few of you are on for the TED Talk Think Tank tomorrow. We've only got one spot left. Uh, I know we can go to 99, but we can't have a discussion that we want with TED Talk Think Tank at 11.30 without that. Um, next week, Pat, we've got this radical guy that's coming on on Monday. You want to tell us what he's going to talk about with real estate? Might want to unmute before you... I guess uh, I got to unmute myself. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be, uh, be here on Monday, and uh, we're going to be talking about the switch to virtual uh, open houses and uh, the way that uh, realtors are having to uh survive and thrive through this uh, uh unique uh, situation we find ourselves in so we're going to show you uh what's being done uh, uh you go from uh there's no such thing as a virtual open house to there's no such thing as anything but a virtual open house and well, that, that, that'll be fantastic well uh tuesday's going to be announced yet uh we've got a couple of people out there that they're going to be dynamite and really good with it. On Wednesday, we have uh, Lisa Shasteen, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who is an attorney dealing with cybersecurity. And we're on a platform that's had some trouble with cybersecurity, getting hacked. Um, so that'll be great. Thursday, you're not going to want to miss it as well. That's David Berman, Dr. David Berman, from, an immunologist from Johns Hopkins Children's Hospital answer questions about a lot of good stuff that um, wear masks, don't wear masks, why, why not, all kinds of good stuff on that. And that's where you're going to want to spread this out to your community and get people in for these. Not that today's uh, wasn't worth it as well, but we're going to find a real wide range of people that will be interested. If you've got employees, if you've got fellow workers, invite them on. Um, this will be absolutely great. And then we, uh, we're in talks with some other people. I do know on the 27th, we've got a virtual uh, chef that does virtual chef dinners. Another very, very interesting conversation. 
A lot of this is, as Plato said, necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, now, Keith can't do a whole lot of creative things with the stock market, but um, you're seeing restaurants like what we heard on Monday. You're seeing um, a lot of people doing things that they never thought possible. I'm um, also looking to get somebody on that took their company and also added a whole line of making masks and see how they did that and the results they got. Um, lots of good things. Uh, Ashley, do you have anything that you want to announce with the center club? Let me grab my calendar real quick. Sorry. She didn't know I was coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the, the shout out. Um, so on April 27th, actually, gosh, I don't know if he's still on, but he and um, Ryan Dolly, you'll see promotion about this. They're going to do a webinar called the Modern Scale Approach to Growth During a Crisis. Um, so that's one to look forward to. We also have, and this is just in the works right now, but the, that week and the week after, we have another three-part series um, coming. And it's actually um, how COVID has has impacted people, businesses, and um, from, a, from a medical perspective. So um, you'll see promotion with more detail on those coming out soon. And we also, I know you, uh, for members, you're getting Club Corp emails. Um, so keep an eye on the virtual um, wine tasting, virtual cooking, stuff like that, because they're sending a lot of good stuff out too as well. Any other questions before we sign off till tomorrow? Hey, Doc, one last thing. Tell them about tomorrow at noon. If my screen didn't freeze again, which it looks like it might have. Well, tomorrow at noon, 11.30, we have our TED Talk thinking. Is that what at, you're talking about? At noon, our next podcast. Oh. Okay, go ahead. I'm trying to get this, it, it to come up on the screen, and all it did is freeze my screen. So hopefully you're still seeing us. We have a new podcast, uh, Dr. Murfield and I, and it is called Holy Crap, How'd They Do That? And our very second episode uh, will be live tomorrow at noon. So check it out where you find podcasts. Uh, it's broadcast on Anchor um podcast but it's uh, distributed out and it'll be uh live at noon tomorrow so check that out talk? really excited and proud about that what did we talk about Pat? episode two is uh this one we're actually going to the Wayback machine and uh we're oh no i'm sorry this is uh uh a i'm sorry a hundred days of rejection phenomenal experience mm -hmm. that uh, jai jang did um, trying to uh, insulate himself for hearing uh, the word no from people. It turned out he didn't hear no quite as much. So you want to tune into the podcast and uh, learn all about it. Hey, Pat and uh, Lauren, just from a um, speaker's perspective for our daily 2 p.m. Zoom meeting, have we or do we have a speaker lined up for um, employment law? because of the current crisis we're working, that we're, we're in. working on that. Okay, cool. Working on that. So. Awesome. All right. We'll take care. We'll see you all tomorrow. Hey, Thanks, everybody. everybody. Thanks, Keith.